All right, everyone, welcome to the Generation Y Conservative podcast. We are broadcasting from CPAC down in National Harbor, and uh, we have a lot going on this week. I have some people here that I'd really like you guys to meet and introduce, get a little bit of background on what brought them to CPAC, what their background has been and everything, and uh, then we're going to bring everyone on and discuss some of the topics that were covered here at CPAC this week. It's been a very long week, a very interesting week. Uh, there's a couple of us that were volunteers and were extremely tired after this week as well, uh, waking up at five in the morning and heading in, some of them drinking for the majority of the night and then heading in as well. But it's been a fun time. Uh, everybody's had a blast. So welcome to the Generation Y Conservative Podcast. We've been spotlighting charities that uh, we want to cover and, and get out there every month. We spotlight a charity this month. With it ending, the charity this month was OUR, which is the Operation Underground Railroad charity. This is a charity that spotlights issues around the world of child sex slavery, going in and saving those kids. Using ex-government and uh, military personnel from the United States to work with foreign governments and go in and work with them to find these rings, bring down the leaders in these sting operations, and, and save these kids. So it's a worthwhile cause. My family donates to them uh, every month, and I encourage you to at least take a look at them. You can go to OURrescue.org for more information on that. I would encourage that. And next week we're going to start spotlighting a different charity, and I actually already have one in mind that deals with veterans. So head over there, check it out, donate if your heart is open to it, and uh, we'll get into the podcast right now. So I want to welcome my first guest, so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, speak up to the microphone there. Hello, I'm Ryan Sinanti. All right, great, Ryan. So what brings you down to CPAC this year? Well, it's my first time actually, so I definitely came down to see, get involved a little, talk about here, prominent politicians, our president, and just people involved in the whole political circle talk about issues facing us, uh, facing us today. And it's been an eye-opening experience. I'm new this into the whole political... First first time at CPAC? First time. Okay, great. And how old are you? I'm 20. Great. Okay. Well, we always like to see younger people getting involved in politics, so that's great. Uh, are you currently in school? Yes. I'm a junior at Indiana University. Great, great. That's a great school, too. Um, so you said you're currently getting into it, basically, for the first time. What got you involved in starting <clears throat> to chase after politics, especially bringing you down here to CPAC? And, uh, you know, is there a course of study that you're currently taking that has led you in that direction? So I actually recently changed my major to law and public policy. And I'm in a couple classes, national and international policy, urban problems and solutions, and law and public affairs okay. in the School of Public Environmental Affairs. And a lot of them are based around public policy. And we talk about the biggest and hottest issues in our country today. So... I've really started to gain interest and realize that I have a passion in this, but I want to learn more, and I'm still relatively new in the whole political world. So, Well, with you being 20 years old, let me ask you this. Do your parents, are your parents involved in politics, or have they ever shown favoritism towards a certain party at all? Uh, growing up, my parents definitely showed favoritism towards the Republican Party. Okay. Um, big Reagan fans. I always talked about the 80s as the golden years, and... Um, Certainly within our lifetime, at least my lifetime. So, so um, I definitely 
grew up in a Republican household, and it's not like I necessarily just believed everything that they believed in. You know, we disagree on some things. They're a little more conservative than I was at the time, but after doing my... It's actually interesting that you say that, because I think that there's more of a surpassing past conservatism with some of the younger generations now, more towards a almost libertarian stance, especially when yes. it involves social issues and stuff like that. So is that what you're kind of talking about? I would about? say, yeah, I'm closer to the middle, not as far right as they kind of raised me to be. Okay, fiscally conservative? That's fiscally conservative, okay, yes, great. believe in lowering taxes. and. So before we uh, let you go and get the next person on, what has been your favorite uh, part of CPAC this year that really stood out to you? Probably seeing Ted Cruz speak. Okay. Um, really talking about the Constitution, talking about um, how some federal courts have been undermining the Constitution, and we need to be aware of that as Americans and fighting for our Second Amendment. Great. And Absolutely. It was definitely interesting to see a prominent politician in the same room and it's inspiring. Makes me want to you learn. You got to see Trump speak. Saw Trump speak. Saw Governor Scott Walker. Okay. Saw a lot of you know politicians, governors, and it's just cool to see these guys be in the same room and inspires me to learn more, so I could be more informed when talking to people. And that leads me to my last question for you: Where do you see yourself going politically in the future? Does that tie into what you want to do with your career? Um, so I want to go into law. I want to go to law school. Okay. And potentially study constitutional law and work for a firm after school, maybe on the corporate side since I've taken a lot of business classes, and just building a network and building the financial backing so I could potentially run for a spot in office as I get older and learn more. Like, I have a lot to learn, and but it's something I'm into, so anything's possible. Well, I would actually encourage you to uh, find local offices that you can run for as well. Uh, I believe, certainly with my background and everything, that uh, school board is a great first step into doing that and making effective change in education in your local area. Uh, and they really do value younger people running for the school board because it typically doesn't happen. You usually get retired people, and they're so far disconnected from what's actually happening in the public schools right now, you actually would have a better chance and could you know, talk about that a little bit better maybe. So. We definitely look into that. All right, Ryan, thank you very much. Thank and you. we'll get you back on when we start talking about other topics then. Okay? Thank you. All right. Come on in. Awesome. <laughs> All right. How's it going? Pretty good. Great. So why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Spencer Davis. I'm a junior at Indiana University's Kelly School of Business, studying business economics and public policy. Starting to get a pattern here with the kind of uh, people that we're getting on here. So <laughs> what brings you down to CPAC then? Well, this is actually my first year at CPAC. And so um, my friend Conrad, who will be on the podcast later, he kind of... Um, a little bit closer there. He kind Actually, of, you can bring it to you. Oh, awesome. He kind of um, introduced me to the idea of CPAC. I think he came last year, and okay. he really liked it, said it was a great experience, and uh, I wanted to come this year, especially with the new president. And yeah, absolutely. Everything and actually, on. for me being involved in politics for so long, I think I've been involved since about 2004, 2005, I've never been in the same room with a president before. And while Trump wasn't my first choice for Republican, it was something to be in the room with uh, a current sitting president. And even uh, Vice President Pence, when he spoke the day before as well, that mm -hmm. was uh, an incredible speech as well. So with your major, what are you looking to do after college then? Um, right now, I'm not really sure. Um, just kind of um, looking, 
Well, right now I'm in I-Corps, which is uh, the Kelly School's really big uh, block that they're really known for. And so I'm mostly going to, uh, you know, get through this, and then um, after that I'll decide further on my major and if I maybe want to go to graduate school or if I want to go and work in the workforce for a little bit, maybe for uh, state or federal government. Okay, great. And uh, how about in regards to CPAC, what was your favorite part so far? Um, well, now it's done. I'd, what was your favorite part? I, I, I'd <laughs> say that uh, my favorite part has probably been uh, Ted Cruz. Okay. Even though I'm, I'm liking this pattern here too. Even though I didn't really um, like fancy him in the, I think it was the generals. Uh, I well, interesting. But yeah, primaries. So or the primaries. Yeah, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Um, I don't know. I because I I was kind of a Kasich fan, and then I saw Ted Cruz speak, and he was like. He's very well spoken. Yeah. He obviously knows uh, a lot of what he's talking about. He's very knowledgeable on topics, and so uh, it just kind of struck me. And uh, so I actually find that interesting. Out. What drew you to Kasich then? Uh, I'm well. I'm from the Midwest, and so he okay. he seems you know he's very like moderate, and yes, I, he is. <laughs> he, he, which is I, why I'm I was a, wondering why I'm you're in the middle of the road. Kasich, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a middle of the road kind of guy, and so I can. I consider myself somebody that could go on uh, both ways of issues, and okay. so it's really just what is better for like me and my personal beliefs and personal opinions and uh, the country as a whole at the time. Well, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to uh, you know aligning your principles with the best candidate that fits that. So now, uh, have you looked into what separates you know a person from being a moderate that's on the borderline of issues? from a libertarian who just has a different view of even basically a more cons confined view of government being the least amount as possible and letting it be open open rein on social issues basically have you have you seen the difference in that and where you may fall between those two i think when you start getting to further ends of the spectrum you start seeing um a less a willing person to compromise i think when you get towards the middle of the road you see a lot of uh, compromise on issues which you don't really see a lot today in okay. politics from my um, personal um, <clears throat> experience but I think when you get way out here you've got people who are so ingrained in their beliefs that they're almost unwilling to change um, sure. for the betterment of society you, ha, speaking of that though in regards to CPAC did any topics come up that you may have felt one way but the speaker convinced you or maybe concreted it another way by chance um, I think Betsy DeVos on education, she really struck me as, um, you know, going through those congressional hearings, you really didn't, you know, get the sense that maybe she wasn't qualified, right. but then she stood up there and she gave a really uh, remarkable speech up at uh, the stage and it was, you know, I mean, it might've been short, but yeah. it got to the point and that's what she needed to do. Did you vote for Trump by chance or do you not want to say it's up to you? Uh, I'd prefer to not say. Okay, all right. Well, what I find interesting about the Betsy DeVos situation is that a lot of people voted for Trump because they wanted someone outside of Washington, D.C. to shake things up a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And all this uproar over Betsy DeVos has been really that she doesn't, and not that she doesn't have the educational background, she actually does have some educational background, uh, but it's more been aligned with the private side of schools and everything. Mm -hmm. But... I think that's why people on the right are really enjoying this is because they're trying to shake up everything with people from outside the spectrum and, and really, uh, 
you know, make a difference with something that hasn't been seen before. You know, mm-hmm. do, you, do you agree with that by the way she was talking? Yeah, yeah I, I definitely agree with that. I think that um, this country does need some fresh perspectives from the outside that, uh, you know, the outside looking in. I think that would really be helpful because uh, some of these people have just been ingrained in their jobs for so long that you, you come here and you stay in the city and you lose sight of reality okay. and what's actually going on in the country because there's so many different cultures in the it's country. A it's a, it's a bubble for like, both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you can... You can go to Indiana and you can go to, you know, Kansas and it'll still be different, but it's still, you know, Central America. It's just different cultures. And so when you come out here, you see a lot of different cultures. And I think it's good that you have outside perspectives coming into Washington now. Yeah, absolutely. So CPAC coming back again now or was Um, this a good experience for you? Yeah, yeah. I've definitely liked this experience. It's been a great time. Being that you were more of a moderate, so you say. Uh, do you feel like you would try to maybe even go to a convention of on the left at all and, and check that out and see? Um, maybe, you know, I, <laughs> um, not, well, I, I actually went to, a we're uh, swaying uh, and we're pulling <laughs> over to our side. <laughs> I actually, I, I went to a Bernie Sanders, um, you know, when he visited Indiana University last year. Have you had a shower uh, since spoke. then? <laughs> yeah. You gotta wash that socialism off of you. <laughs> exactly. But um, it's weird. I actually liked Bernie more than Hillary. Maybe that's just because he's a more uh, personable and charismatic person. Well, listen, one thing I, that myself and a lot of my guests have always pointed out is as much as we don't like his policies, Bernie is probably the most honest politician in D.C., I totally he, agree. He will tell you what he wants to do, and that is exactly what he wants to do. He's not going to sugarcoat it at all. Mm-hmm. So I, I would, you know, I think Bernie is someone that, you know, it's kind of like Trump said. He, he's for, uh, you know, reworking trade deals and stuff like that. So that's someone that maybe Trump can reach across the aisle to. Mm-hmm. So. Honesty is definitely respectable in this yeah, country. Yeah, no kidding. It's, and it's lost on the people <laughs> down around the D.C. area here. So, All right, well, thank you very much, and we're going to have you back on as soon as we uh, get some more people in here, okay? Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, here we go. <laughs> Someone with a, a little bit deeper political experience here. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, I'm Matt Shute. Um, I, I guess it all started in 2000 when... I guess it was a combination of my mom playing Rush Limbaugh in the car <laughs> and uh, what we call Rush Baby <laughs> and the fact that I like George W. Bush's hair more <laughs> I, I, I do remember that as a reason uh, from that point I've identified as a, as a conservative and uh, ever since then I've volunteered a little closer oh, sure. there you uh, go. I, I volunteered on a number of campaigns I, I had a paid position with uh, the Pence campaign, actually, when he was Great. running for governor before he was selected. And where was that? Uh, that was in Bloomington, Indiana. Indiana. Yep. Okay. Great. Um, CPAC. How many times have you been to CPAC? This will be my fourth time. Wow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm an old fart by now. And yeah. did you, what college did you go to? Uh, like uh, everyone else here. I, Same I, one. I, yeah. <laughs> I went to IU Bloomington, uh, and I just graduated uh, this past May. Okay. Great. So you've actually, yeah, so you're, how old are you? If you don't mind me asking. 23. 23. Yeah. Okay. So you've been involved in politics. Uh, wow. Yeah. You, you were really young when you got into it, huh? Yeah. Any, uh, so you said you're basically a rush baby. Do, are any other political superstars basically within the radio or TV world that influence your uh, way of thinking at all? Well, my, 
my number one role model was Mark Levin. Great. Um, <laughs> uh, he, uh, you want to hear my impression of him? Oh, go ahead. Get off the phone, you big dummy! <laughs> <laughs> that's actually that's really good. That's really good. Um, no, he he, uh, he not only you know, really vibed with you know the, the emotional arguments yeah. that that really gets you going and, and motivates you as a, as a conservative, but uh, you know it's gotten to the point where a lot of people can do that, and a lot of people they they use their emotional appeal uh, as a crutch. But he, with his legal experience, with his vast knowledge on jurisprudence, I mean, uh, he's just really the best of both worlds. Uh, I got my dad listening to him. He's addicted now. Yeah. Uh, uh, he is uh, really, really knowledgeable, and, and I've learned a lot from him. Well, I think what I really like about Levin is the fact that he knows the Constitution, Absolutely. which is exactly what he argued in front of the Supreme Court multiple times. You know, I yeah. mean, it's... Uh, it's, it's the most important thing when it comes down to our politics, really. And I just got done saying, um, it was here last week's podcast or podcast before, if our uh, political leaders swear an oath to uphold the Constitution, then constitutionalists should be the moderates of this country, right? Because that's what everybody is supposed to be upholding. But that's not what's been going on. I mean, we, had, we actually had the artist here at CPAC that did the Forgotten Man painting. Mm-hmm. Did you see that down at the CPAC Hub? I actually didn't know. Yeah, he uh, he was pointed out by Hannity during uh, Hannity's show because I guess Hannity bought the original uh, Forgotten Man painting. But he, you know, that's of all the presidents and Obama stepping on the Constitution, the guy sitting on a bench without Oh, a that one, yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, so it's a famous painting that's out there and uh, didn't know who had done it, but I saw all those uh, other paintings down the CPAC Hub and it was pretty interesting. But again, you know, I think that the, the Constitution is lost on many people because they think it's an outdated document. But I think Mark Levin is one of those people that's out there that really pushes that as what should be guiding this country. Mm-hmm. You know, now, I mean, to comment on that painting, I mean, it, am I correct in saying that it, it portrays Obama stepping on the Constitution and every single other president is there kind of saying, well, why are you doing this? Or is it just a... Well, a I, from, my, uh, from what I remember, it actually goes from... Uh, the right side of the painting, all of the right presidents over to the leftist presidents on the left side. So it's kind of like okay. a wave going over. And I don't know what the reactions are. It's a good question. It would be something to look into. Yeah. And actually, when we post this podcast, what I'll do is I'll throw an image up on the screen to show you uh, the painting itself, and we can kind of take a, a deeper look at that. So what do you feel is uh, next for you? You said you were on the Pence campaign. Um Good job with that, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah. what, what do you feel is your next step? What do you want to pursue? Uh, it, this past year, politically, is—I mean, it, it has been trying. It's—it's yes. uh, it's been disappointing um, for for a few reasons. I mean, I, I'm not here, you know, moaning that this is the end of the world, but uh, there have been some issues, you know, things that have happened, and, and just trends that I'm noticing that. Uh, are not ideal, and we can get into that sure, uh, yeah. later, yeah, I guess. Certainly bring but, that up again, because I'm um, interested. You know, it, I am now uh, look, looking into attending the Kelly School of Business at, at IU, joining, okay. joining all these other guys, yeah. uh, and getting my MBA starting in August. So that's 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 the plan right now. Uh, I feel like it's it's good for me to take a break at this point in my life from... Uh, being officially involved in politics, 
I think feel a little I, I think it's not really burnout anymore. It, it's almost a calming feeling that you know. Right now, the, the political parties and really the, the political landscape in the country is uh, it's in a transition period, period transformation period right yeah. now, and uh, there's going to be pains associated with that. Yeah. Pains that I think if I you know tried to perpetually get involved with or or even join, uh, I think it would be counterintuitive. So while I, I will definitely be focusing on you know, studying the law, eventually going to law school, definitely re you know, reading more and more and more about the various philosophies of economics and mm -hmm. politics and, and governance and jurisprudence and everything, uh, I think this point in my life I, I need to focus on preparation for the future. Uh, building my own foundation uh, for that future because when the public elects one, uh, one of their own as, as a public servant, it, it's expected that they have that foundation, that they yes. have the knowledge and the expertise to back up their beliefs. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we see a few of those people, thankfully, but uh, not a whole lot. So in order to not be a hypocrite, uh, I think I'm going to focus on business for now. Good. Uh, maybe start a business, something like that, and then you know go to law school. And if if, if God opens the door to to reenter politics in the future in an official sense, I'll still be involved with things like this, obviously. Good. But, Good. but we'll so see, we'll see, what see what happens. next uh, the next CPAC CPAC 2018. Sure, you, you can follow up then. All right, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much, and we'll catch up a little bit more on thank you. what. Uh, what you were talking about before, we'll kind of dive deeper into that as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Okay. Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Here, let me get this out of the way here. <coughs> all right. <coughs> you all right? Yeah, how's it going? Drink? <laughs> <coughs> I love one right now. Yeah. <laughs> so go ahead. What's your name? I am Jimmy Mendez, coming out of Indiana University, Bloomington. That's so weird. <laughs> go ahead. So what are you studying out there? Oh, I actually just graduated with a business degree. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Any plans on what you're doing, or are you already in a field? Well, I'm applying to damn near everywhere on the East Coast. I really, really want to work in New York City. I love the place. It has an unreal energy. But uh, a Where lot are of you at? sorry, what was that? Uh, New York City. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has an amazing energy to the place. I just, I love people. I love being around things happening and just business, and that that's the world capital for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, one interesting trend I've been seeing with you guys is that. We're marking off different spots on the political spectrum. So where do you feel that you fall on that? Well, as a freshman in college, I actually voted for Obama in 2012. Okay. Uh, a couple of years of education in uh, politics and economics and business. I've moved more towards the libertarian, maybe free market conservative type. Like, I don't call myself a conservative because there are a few things in that word that people associate with that do not fit me. Do you want to mention them? Well, I hate protectionism. I think that is idiotic. I, I believe in the free market 100%. I don't like some of the policies that Mr. Trump is putting up um, that are supported widely by, not, I, I don't want to say conservatives, because I think conservatives are more grounded in, in their beliefs than, I, I don't want to say the typical Republican, but some. And, yeah. Well, uh, 
just one policy that you, that you one policy with. okay um well the immigration ban I, I i think that's a little bit unnecessary people were following due process to get into the country mm-hmm. maybe another way to handle that maybe diverting them or something but an outright ban is not a good look for the country but um yeah i mean i i i I like Mr. Trump. I, I have nothing really against him. I would never vote for Hillary. That woman is a shill. But, yeah. Well, I find it interesting that you said that you voted for Obama and then you studied economics. That's usually the enemy of Obama that will actually push people away from him right there. So <laughs> once you start looking into uh, you know how the financial markets work, you see how there's a diametrically opposed in, in you know, how things actually work, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I want to get back to uh, just quickly your your comment about the what you call the immigration ban mm-hmm. and everything. Now, not to argue with you mm-hmm. because that's your completely your opinion. It sounds like you put a lot of thought into that. But one thing that that matters really a lot of these days is language, right? Mm-hmm. And and how we say things. And people that are in the Trump administration or that support him are, are saying that this is it's wrong to label a ban that's more moratorium that we're only that the, the theory behind this is that we're not allowing refugees to come from countries that are actively working against us to feed us information on who these people are and give us uh, give us their background checks so we can see and vet properly who's coming into the country so did you know that or no well, yeah, I believe that when there's smoke, there's fire, and letting in a lot of immigrants from, or refugees from com- countries that have negative feelings towards us is not the best idea in the world. I do believe that people that were very deep into the process that were denied, like uh, it might be the media uh, swaying my views, but uh, I-, I saw a lot of n- really negative stories that I-, I believe should not have happened. But on, on a greater sense, I, I do think... It's not negative to, to start putting a, a harder foot down on, on these types of countries that don't like us. And I am not an outright advocate against it. Like I, I'm, I'm not totally informed on the, on the matter, but I just do not think it was a good look for a country that believes in freedom. Well, and to go along with that a little bit further, I think in regards to language and language being important, one thing that a lot of people, I think, I think actually this is one of the biggest problems is that you're seeing a mixing up and mashing together of the terms of who these people actually are, right? You have you have terrorists, you have legal immigrants, you have illegal immigrants, you have refugees, and they're kind of mixing that all together into one term. That this it's a, in, in, in immigration itself, right? But you have uh, you know terrorists are obviously terrorists. We're having a nice problem all over the world and everything. You have legal immigrants who are going through the process. Nothing's changing with that. Illegal immigrants are coming here. They're committing a crime by doing so. When they are skipping ahead of the line of, of legal immigrants, uh, some of whom are my friends that have waited years for the process, you know. And then you have the refugees that are seriously getting away from heated political climates where people are dying. And and I completely agree with you that. Uh, especially those that category of people refugees are the people that need help all over the place right that they need help to get out of the situations that they're in and i've heard some interesting um interesting ways of doing that actually if, if my friend gabe is watching uh one thing that he proposed at one point in time and this would be only for a refugee situation and certainly there's millions of them so it wouldn't necessarily work on a large scale but he had said something at one point in time of taking retired uh 
cruise liners and naval ships and basically making floating cities within the Mediterranean to keep them in their area until things politically calm down without having them rush into uh, cultural climates that they are not assimilating to, you know? Yeah, those that's not a bad idea at all. And uh, most people don't know that those massive ships are surprisingly cost-efficient. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially Navy ships. Yeah, you know? yeah those so. things have nuclear generators that will run for years. So you just graduated. Uh, is this your first CPAC? Yeah, yeah. And what were your thoughts? What were your final thoughts on that? I, I really like that people come together to discuss different factors in, like, the, the conservative lexicon. Like, you, you see a lot of people discussing the free market. You see a lot of people discussing why we should build the wall. You see a lot of people discussing education. Like, and you just, I, I really came here, like I said, I voted for Obama in 2012, and now I'm at CPAC. I've never considered myself close-minded. I came here to broaden my views a little bit and see what conservatives think let me ask you this speaking of that i think you're a good example uh for this in that you voted for obama right you consider yourself open-minded and everything how what did what do you notice about the crowd here at cpac because when you think of conservatives and you, you said the negative connotations that go along with that and everything you know when even when i think of conservatives i think of crusty old white millionaire guys right so what did you see at CPAC in regards to the crowd? Well, there definitely is a lot of old white guys. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of people. You see some diversity. You see people that are just excited. And you see majorly people who want to to stand up for their views. You see people that hold these views very strongly, that want to see them uphold it throughout the country. They want. You see a lot of people who are um, um, people who want to uphold the Constitution. Some the, the the best people that I've talked to here are ones that hold the Constitution to the highest regard and don't want to see bullshit regulation. They don't want to see protectionism. They don't want to see racism that some people associate with the conservatives. But uh, did, did you get an, a sense of racism or bigotry or uh, xenophobia or anything while you were here? No, not any at all. Of the, anyone in the crowd or even speakers? Not at all. I think that's more of a perception than reality. I think racism is more of a personal problem than it is a class problem like if you pick a hundred people from any demographic you're never going to find a hundred races that, 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 that's the thing it's just how a person's raised compared or along with their genetics along with their personal views that leads a person into being a negative or something like that you, you can't pigeonhole all conservatives as old white guys who, who hate the poors and other races okay uh, CPAC coming back most likely Okay. All right, great. And we'll right. we'll catch you in a little bit then, all right? Yeah, thank you. All right. I got a lot of people. This is great. <laughs> yeah, we don't. Oh, okay. Okay. You can actually yeah, okay. You can actually just walk right in front of it and I'll I'll cut after him. Uh we'll we'll take a break after our guest here and, and uh just send someone in front of the camera real quick. Yeah. Um okay, so go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, I'm Conrad Long. Uh, I'm a junior at Indiana University, uh, studying at the Kelly School of Business. Um, I'm studying business economics and public policy uh, currently. Anything that you want to particularly do with that? Any plans? Um, currently, I'm going into uh, corporate planning and uh, strategy uh, stuff at uh, different corporate firms in New York right now. I'm looking at uh, going to Macy's um, for the summer for a summer internship. Um, I do hope to go into consulting next year at one of the big four consulting firms. Um, I'm going to be studying abroad, uh, next semester and hopefully interning with a, uh, local, 
consulting firm in London at the time. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, first time with CPAC for you at all? Uh, this is actually my second time. I invited most of the guys here besides Okay. Me. Great. So, yeah. you were here last year? Or yeah, what? I was here last year. Um, really enjoyed it. I uh, got to see all the people who were running for president last year, which was pretty awesome. Right. Um, and get to hear a lot of different viewpoints from the lot of, because the conservatives, a lot of people, I think, uh, generalize them as just conservatives, but there's a lot of different ideologies behind the conservatives. There's the libertarians, there's the true conservatives, the constitutional conservatives, uh, right. business conservatives, etc. And I think that CPAC's a great way to see all the different aspects of conservatism. What did you see as uh, one of the big differences between last year and this year? I think last year was a lot more of, uh, specifically the candidates were trying to get across why they were the best candidate for president, um, mm -hmm. and they were showing their different viewpoints, and I think this year it's a lot more of getting behind the current Republic, uh, Republican administration and Trump's ideas. I think a lot of people there were there to promote what he's putting forward and what the uh, Senate and Congress are putting forward right now. Well, it's interesting you say that about uh, a lot of people being at this CPAC, CPAC 2017, to support Trump because it seemed like last year, uh, did you take notice as to how many P Trump supporters were in, in the building yeah. at the time? I mean, it's to me it seemed like less than 10% yeah. of them. And it really fired people up a lot against him that he was scheduled to show up and speak and never did. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, uh, especially the fact that there was talks that people were going to protest if he did show up and talk last year, I mm -hmm. think that the attitude last year was that he was not like a true conservative, and I think that a lot of people just did not want to see him speak, um, and I think that they were very excited about Ted Cruz, and uh, specifically, I mean, he did win the straw poll last year, yep. but I think a lot of people have come around, and uh, uh, especially this year, I mean, I'd say the majority of people here supported Trump this year, and um, which was a lot different from last Who year. Who was it? Uh, was it Pence? I think it was Pence that one of the questions he asked of the crowd was, how many of you were Trump supporters in the beginning, yeah. and how many of you are Trump supporters now? And th there was a stark difference in the number of yeah. hands that were raised. I mean, it was a couple yeah. people that raised their hands, and then when he asked how many of you are Trump supporters now, a lot of people raised their hands. And I think to the point that we were making earlier about Bernie Sanders being an honest yeah. guy, uh, you know, as much as I thought... I, uh, I was one of those people that thought that he was going to end up being very liberal with mm -hmm. his policies. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's been sticking to his promises. Yeah. I may not like the executive orders that he's been doing yeah. and how he gets them done. But one thing I have to give him credit for is what he said he was going to do, he's been doing. And yeah. almost like dominoes uh, yeah. immediately within the first you know 30 days. Yeah, I'd say I think that's the thing that um, he can continually tell people is that he's doing exactly what he promised. Um, I mean, I don't like, I, like you said, I don't agree with everything he's doing, but I think that the fact that he's able to be a man of his word and do everything he said is something that uh, a lot of people should look back at what he was saying on the campaign trail. If they want to know what he's going to do, he said it. He laid out his, his plan for the presidency. Uh, did this election change your mind at all? Were you a Trump supporter in the beginning? or I was not you... a Trump supporter in the beginning. Um, I am... I like to class myself as more of a libertarian, personally. Okay. Um, so any libertarian candidate that you liked? Uh, because there were, what, three that uh, yeah. ran against each yeah. other? Unfortunately, uh, I didn't think Gary Johnson really did a good job once it came to the uh, the general. I think that he dropped the ball, especially in that Aleppo question. Um, <laughs> and I think that if he had any chance of getting the, uh, I think it was 5% of the vote that he needed to continue the uh, federal funding for libertarians, that he really uh, screwed that up for himself and the mm -hmm. party. Um, and from, like, the... I originally in the Republican Party because I know that Libertarians aren't going to win anytime soon, so I usually vote uh, Republican Party. I was supporting Did, Rubio. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I, I can agree with that. Rubio's a good guy. Yeah, and I think that he's going to be a 
big player in the party in the future. <laughs> Did you catch his uh, speech on the floor after Elizabeth Warren in regards to Sessions? Uh, decision i did not catch that you no. need to go back and watch that very it. inspirational speech yeah uh any so any other libertarian candidates that you liked at all by chance um i can't remember the uh his name off the top of my head but it was the young guy the young guy. austin peterson yeah, i really liked austin peterson i yes. thought he uh i think that he will probably be the next libertarian candidate i think so too i think that Absolutely. he has a lot of uh, potential and that he a lot of people just did uh just slept on him because he was young and he didn't have the experience that gary johnson did. well and i think that uh to your point about Gary Johnson slipping up on the Aleppo question and some other things. One of the things I personally didn't like about Johnson is the fact that he kept on doing crazy antics with, yeah. like, acting like a f like an idiot with, like, yeah. fake heart attacks yeah. and falling on the floor and stuff. Yeah. And people, the problem with the Libertarian problem that, or, I'm sorry, the problem with the Libertarian Party that they have to overcome as a marketing concept for themselves is that they're a bunch of crazy people. Yeah. And he didn't do anything to no, alleviate that problem, that perception yeah. that's out there. He really hurt that. And when I do tell people I'm a libertarian, they're like, oh, you're a libertarian. Kind yeah. of like, Get oh, your tinfoil yeah. hat on. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I mean, I guess that's just where I like, see myself aligning, and uh, I agree with a lot of what they do and stuff like that. I mean, uh, I do think that um, it looks like Trump could be taking some libertarian policies, especially with the economy coming forward and stuff yep. like that, which would be nice to see. Okay. Uh, all right, so we're going to get you back on in a couple minutes then yeah. for with a, basically a panel with everyone, yeah. and uh, we'll talk a little bit more, all right? Yeah. All right, so we're going to take a quick break here and uh, keep everything rolling, but we're going to have them run out of the doors here real quick and, and pass by the camera, so you want remember this face. <laughs> no, I'm <kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and pull that closer to you there. Okay. All right, go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is James Olin. <laughs> Great. <laughs> no, so go ahead and give us a. Uh, we have some things that we can't talk about, and these are people that have been involved in um, different things that, in regards to politics, maybe have to go unsaid sometimes, and that's fine because it's in. Actually, what I know that he's been involved with is a very important part of the political process and, and uh, trailblazing, you know, in regards to po politics. So. Uh, we won't touch on those, but why don't you talk about what you can talk about? What have you been involved with that you can talk about? Um, well, I, was, I guess I could start off with why I got involved in politics, maybe? Sure. Okay. Um, as a soldier, I was in the media uh, embedding uh, different journalists with uh, their units prior to the invasion of Iraq, and then moved over to run or help. My unit got tapped to run the public affairs section of the embassy in Baghdad for about a year. When uh, was that time period? 2003. Okay. <laughs> um, right after the invasion. So I was uh, doing media relations and speech writing out there at the embassy. Um, when I came home, I had been exposed to a lot of policy, foreign affairs, and um, government officials overseas, and decided that I wanted to, well, I, actually, I didn't know if I want, what I wanted to do, but I did know I wanted to hang out with a cousin of mine who worked up on the Hill. Okay. And uh, he got me involved in one in his candidate's um, campaigns, and Subsequently, a couple years later, I moved. I finished school and decided to help out on a, on a couple of congressionals and uh, moved over to a spot in the media um, exposing fraud, waste, and abuse. Okay, great. And um, since then, I've been. I guess last year was my f was quite a year. I spent on presidential, uh, gubernatorial, <laughs> senate, and uh, congressional races around the country. Anything so. interesting that you can talk about? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Well, I know a couple of stories, but we'll leave it at that. But um, so you were here at CPAC last year as well. I was. It's my third CPAC. Okay, actually. great. Wait, third in a row or third in a row? Okay. Third in a row. So I came right after Dan Bonfino's campaign. I was on his okay, campaign great. in Maryland. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. He was actually the first one that I ran into here that I got. Oh, a really? With. Yeah, Dan's yeah. a good guy. Yeah. yeah. I really, uh, really supported what he did and hit the ground running with him. We almost, we almost made it a couple of years ago. So. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is a very personable. Uh, guy and very intellectual, uh, spot on with his you know remarks on on everything in regards to politics. Uh, I actually called into a show last summer, fall, and mm-hmm. got on air, and that was a pretty interesting experience. But yeah, he's a mile a minute with his uh, with his talking. He is, yeah. and he gets uh, very emotional. He's very passionate about yeah, absolutely, and, yeah. And uh, now I agree with a lot of his policies and. It's a shame that we weren't able to get him up on the hill, but he yeah. still has a place in the in the media affecting change. You think so. he's going to try again? At all? I don't speak for him, of course. Oh, um, yeah. But you know, I his head's I, there. So his head his head's there. He's got a good foundation for it. Whether he'll uh, whether he'll decide to, it's a it's a big commitment with family True. and with uh, you know your your career path that you you put yourself on he had i believe he had left the secret service after a number of years gave up his pension mm-hmm. and um with uh as a new york police officer at one point too wow, he has quite the history yeah so he, he did that he was um secret service i believe for obama and for um george w bush hmm. and then left that to run for u.s senate in maryland and subsequently for con- or for congress in um maryland sixth congressional and then down in florida and it takes a lot of toll on your family life, a lot of strain. Yeah. And, um, you know, after a s- certain point, you also have to look into providing for your family and moving on with other things in your career. And he's found a good spot in, uh, I believe it's the conservative review that he's editor of at this point, or contributor for. Well, he's on CRTV, it seems, right? Is it, and that must be the same network of things. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure, really. But I do, I do know he's... He's found a spot for himself where Absolutely, he can be yes. a good voice for, yeah. for policies. Uh, what stands out? Well, with with a track record of CPAC now, what stands out to you as big changes over the last three years? I From do, CPAC to CPAC. Sure. Well, the the first time you go to CPAC, I don't think it matters if it's this year or four years ago, or even when my father first went, and I think it was eighty one. Okay. And uh, I think the first time you go, you're just overwhelmed. Yes. There's so many activities. There's yeah. so many things you can learn. So many people you're interacting with that you might have seen on TV or just people that you interact with that might have a similar view to you that you mm. just want to have that camaraderie with. And, you know, that that newness of it wears off the second time, especially when your second time you come back with a candidate and you're working on a campaign. Then it's a whole different viewpoint of what the purpose of CPAC and why you're there. Now you're there to... Um, to network to make sure that your candidate gets seen and gets on the radio and um, to find out other other options for fundraising in a, in a campaign. This time I actually decided to show up and um, meet some friends. That's part of CPAC is always mm-hmm. running into old friends on campaigns and people you've seen in, in years past. But I also decided to volunteer this year, which was an interesting uh, experience. First time volunteering? First time volunteering, yep. It's a little rough on you, isn't it? It's exhausting, actually. <laughs> <It really is. laughs> they uh, they feed you very well, but they ask you to wake up and show up at about 6.15 and uh, work till about 12.30. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of time on your feet, but it's another way to see CPAC, another way to experience yeah, it. Yeah, behind the scenes Behind stuff. the scenes. I mean, yeah, the, you know, that's actually one thing I want to speak to. 
while I have your attention and everything is that uh, volunteering at CPAC is it has so many benefits mm-hmm. to it right I mean we are you and I are exhausted we're running on a couple hours of sleep since Wednesday basically yeah. we've gotten a couple little naps here and there and in between all the stuff that's going on mm-hmm. but you volunteer um, especially if you're a college student I mean it's a great opportunity for you but you volunteer you get free access how, do you know how much uh, do, does anybody so, here know how much so tickets are to attend the week $150 I think for student the for the three days okay I think it's $75 for a one day pass and then okay. a student or a veteran $70 per students Okay. And then I think also there's a veterans and uh, a senior citizens rate, but the you know we, we end up paying for our hotels, right? correct? Or you in your case, I'm you local, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, you know I end up paying for my hotel. I volunteer for half the day. In which case, in a lot of cases, you're behind the scenes on a lot of things. I mean, you're always walking in and out of situations. Yesterday was it yesterday? Yeah, I happened to be an escort for. Like two hours for Ambassador Bolton. Yeah, that you was know, quite I'm, the experience. I'm, yeah, had. it was amazing. And and you're walking him around. And I was with his team, and I was overhearing what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And you're just seeing how you know there's you know one guy's in control of the media, and he's like, okay, here's where we're going next. Grab, mm-hmm. you know, grabbing him, running, and I'm in charge of like keeping people back and not talking to him and yep. making sure he can yeah get to the next. You know, radio. Everyone wants to shake his hand time. when he's driving, oh, yeah, going through yeah. the hall. Yeah. I mean, and we've seen some people swarmed to the point where they're enclosed, and it must freak them out sometimes. You know? Oh yeah, there there was one guy on Fox that I saw, and he was just mobbed. People were literally they had their hands around him, yeah. and they were like, you know, say it again, do this, do that. And was that Waters or? Yeah, it was Jesse yeah. Waters. <laughs> and they were like, say it, say say Waters World, and I could just, you know, he was. He was being as uh, friendly as he could with everyone, but you can see it was shortening. It was, the it was shortening him on there, and he had a yeah. purpose to be there too. In addition yeah. to you know seeing his fans and interacting with everybody, but uh, they're people at the end of the day too, and they get exhausted. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people, I think it would be helpful if everyone was mindful of that. It gives a new respect to standing back and watching those situations when you're attending as a volunteer, mm-hmm. and you're not trying to, you know, bombard everyone. But another interesting thing for me today, and we haven't had a chance to talk about this, uh, I actually manned the phone today (laughs) for CPAC. And since it was the last day, only four calls came through the whole day, (laughs) so I was pretty bored. But it was actually kind of their war room for the staff, Mm -hmm. where, you know, Mercedes Schlapp was coming in and out. I'm sure Matt was using the room sometimes. Their whole team of uh, from the American Conservative Union were, were in there, in and out. They had their radios going. They're talking to each other. And you could really see the amount of planning that was going into it. We were literally watching a TV of what was happening live on stage. And the one woman behind me was going, it just end- the guy's speech just ended. We need, to, we need to get the other people going because they don't know that they're supposed <laughs> to be going on now. And it was just this rush. Um, that being said, one of the most exciting parts, and it won't be exciting in a couple of days, but and it may have actually already aired mm-hmm. uh, if CPAC ended, uh, their recap video uh, of okay, the whole I week. haven't seen that. Yet, I got yeah. a chance to watch that before before Matt Schlapp got to see it, I believe, and it's really neat. I'm gonna post it because it's a it's an awesome video. The you know my wife is a videographer; she has those editing skills, but this guy just did an awesome job with uh 
with editing this uh, video for the CPAC recap of 2017. Well, going back again to your original question regarding, you know, the changes of CPAC, too. Yes, yes. Um, I do notice that there, there's something myth- missing with CPAC this year, I think. I that agree, but I, I don't know what it is. I, don't, I can't put my finger on actually describing it, but I... I do know that, you know, in years past, we all the presidential candidates obviously showed up, yep. you know, Cruz or um, Fiorina, whoever was running, and we'd all get to interact with them at, at a bar, right? Yeah. Uh, take yeah. pictures, a, gri- a grip and grin kind of thing. Uh, and that was always the uh, theme of the straw poll every year. Yep. You know, who are you going to vote for? Of course, now we have a Republican or conservative, they say, in, um, in the White House. So the... Straw poll has changed, correct? To more a more issue based. Do you thing. agree with Trump's decision on this or that? Yeah, and uh, we know, you know, there's no longer a, an opposition that we're focused on, <laughs> especially as, since we have control. Since over we have everything. control, <laughs> so is is CPAC has it turned more into a um, a celebration, cheerleading? Yeah, instead of an actual intellectual discussion of what it used to be. Possibly. Well, speaking of that, uh, did you? Encounter or go to any of the breakout sessions at all? I that did. You found interesting. I did go to one actually. It was the same it was one. The as same me, one. Right? Did yeah. you talk about that already? No, I haven't. Okay, yeah, so go ahead. So there's this woman named Sunny Johnson. Yes. Right. Yeah. And um, uh, what's the other fellow's name? Dupree. Uh, du- yeah, Dupree. Dupree. Anyways, I've seen Sonny a couple times speak. I have never seen oh, her. She is amazing. a firecracker. Man. Yes. Yes. I, I forget which exactly where she was born and grew up, but um, she was born in the inner city. Okay. An inner city somewhere on the East Coast. And she still speaks with that same vernacular. She doesn't change it even though Unless she's, you're talking to her personally. Unless you're talking to her she's personally. sweet as pie. Sweetest person on the planet. Yeah. But she'll actually speak about, you know, growing up there and going, leaving, going back, and people having the same complaints. And t- speaking to him, and, and I remember the first time I heard her, and she said something along the lines of that she went back home to her aunts and uncles or saw her cousins or friends who were complaining about the same things about, that they did when she left. They weren't doing anything to change about change it. And they just um, she was like, get off your butts. You have the dirtiest streets in this city. There's no reason for that to happen because you don't do anything all day long. So make yep. a difference, you know? But uh, I love her. She actually, a friend of mine interacted with her up in Connecticut uh, about a year ago and sat down and prayed with her and spoke with her. That's right, yeah. And um, I spoke to Sunny afterwards, and she actually remembered this person, did a little video for her, uh, for me, so I could send it to her. But I love that woman. She is amazing. One thing that I found interesting, I actually called home to my wife and specifically talked about Sunny Johnson, Mm -hmm. is that at first she was railing against conservatives. Okay. In the room. Were you there for her whole speech? No, I came oh, in okay. about two-thirds of the way through. Okay, so at first she was going against conservatives, and it seemed like uh, she had a lot to say about letting down the minority communities in regards to uh, support, right? And you're right, the, the inner city talk comes out, and, mm-hmm. and you felt like, oh, man, where is this going? It looked like she was she was gripping the desk, and she, yeah. you know, she was going to town on, you know, pointing out people and talking and I thought she was going to throw the podium at one point in time and then she gets off the stage and you're like hey it's nice to meet you she's like oh, oh, you're so, yeah. oh my gosh it was a complete change but it's needed right mm-hmm. I mean you have to put passion into your work like that and I think she did a fantastic job and the one thing I, t- I told my wife about was the fact that she said you have the racist uh, racist policies of 
Woodrow Wilson, mm-hmm. right? You have, going back through history, you have FDR who railed his system through the black communities and destroyed homes and families to pave a way to get rid of them, right? Mm-hmm. And then you also had Planned Parenthood, which if the smart people know, was set up by Margaret Sanger to rid our communities of the black people, right? Correct, yes. Uh, and specifically that. I mean, it was it was a genocide here in America that was under the guise of women's health. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she, lay, she lays out these three things, and then she says, and of all these things, the Democratic Party puts up a woman who says she's a Woodrow Wilson candidate, with a policy candidate, with FDR policies, mm-hmm. And a supporter of Planned Parenthood. And she says, of, of all the things, this is a woman that embodies everything that is racist in America, in American history. Almost and definitely. it was, she laid it out like a map for people. It well, was unbelievable. I remember she went back to the podium and she made a point uh, telling people at one point, quit arguing against the... Um, whether systemic racism exists or Whether not. it exists or not, it yeah. It does. Because it does. Quit telling them that it doesn't. Tell them that, yeah, it does. You experience it every day. Quit voting for it then. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, she's, she's a firecracker, man. She yeah, need, her, her voice and her uh, message need to be heard more, more so, broadly. Your experience here at CPAC has been one of coming with candidates and stuff like that in the prior years? Correct. Yep. Okay. And I think you're right. I think that there was something missing. I think it was a lot less, um, you know, pushing for things, intellectual conversations. I don't, you know what I actually, maybe what it's missing is a plan of, or a call for action at the end. Because they feel it's already in place. Because it's in running. place, yeah. Don't get in the way of, of uh, whatever agenda the White House has at this point. Right. But yeah, I think there's a. I think the call for action's missing. I think there's not a sense where you're leaving here and you're going to hit the ground and make a change again because we've done it. Do you now think what? That, do you feel like that's maybe getting a little lazy here at the convention? I think that. Well, it, it, expand on what you mean by lazy. Uh, do you feel like they are too focused on celebrating than proposing? new ideas on how to maybe even expand the tent. One thing I found that was mm-hmm. interesting is I stopped down at the Log Cabin Republicans uh, mm-hmm. booth down in, in the hub, and this that's an organization of gay Republicans, mm-hmm. right? And they had said, I asked them, have you had problems in years past getting in here? And they said, yeah, it was a little rough around the edges at first, but the past two years have been fantastic. People stop by. They have great things to say. And the tent is expanding. Oh, interesting. You know, and uh, I said, I said to him specifically, you know, I feel like if we can meet with people that agree on at least eighty percent of the issues, we can expand the tent with those people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no reason to exclude people if we can agree on eighty percent of the issues. Mm-hmm. You know? Hey, you can always work out the the rest. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that's open to debate, and, and what's lost in our country right now is a civilized debate. I'm wondering, though, that civilized debate, it used to occur here, and now I'm just afraid that because we have a Republican and a conservative in the White House, that we're no longer, we're too much, we might become, we might become too much behind their agenda rather than trying to influence what, uh, the way forward. Do you think, and and you bring up a good point, it made me just think of this, do you think there's an opportunity to invite 
well-known liberals to CPAC to debate conservatives on stage on the issues. I think that would be great. Um, I attended a, um, a debate at GW University about a month ago, mm-hmm. and um, Gail Trotter was on. There were th- uh, three other people on the me- in the media that were on, and t- um, the topic was, should we give Trump a chance? kind of thing. And then about a week later, the CNN had that debate between um, Bernie Sanders and, and Ted, Ted Cruz. Cruz. Yeah. And I didn't look at the ratings of that at all, but I found it extremely interesting, yes. especially after, you know, a whole year of debates that we've seen. And it's it's been, people have been very interested in talking about or hearing people talk about those policies on, in, a, in a mass media format. I think it would be wonderful to encourage maybe maybe um, CPAC or, you know, who runs CPAC or the other media um, outlets to continue that run maybe once a month, once a quarter, and bring people together to to actually hear these debates, not these second sound bites, you know, actually let that discussion go on like it did with Cruz and uh, Sanders. I think that would be a benefit to everybody. I really think it would. Everybody on both sides. And it doesn't only have to be national. It can be on the local and state level, too, you know, whether it's a um, news media outlet or even a Facebook Live thing with a couple um, um, state uh, senators or state or county councilmen kind of thing, too. I agree. All right, so uh, what we'll do is we'll bring the other guys back on. I think two stepped out, right? Oh, we could talk about what really happens after after hours at CPAC. <laughs> That's true. Why, why some of right? us have a hard time oh. getting out. <laughs> Good. Do, do you have room down there? I've got a little bit of room. All right, so what I want you guys to do is, uh, if need be, if you want to answer something, just bring mm-hmm. the mic over to you because it's a little hard to hear if you're not right up against it, okay? Um, so what I want to discuss with you guys just for a couple minutes here is what happened maybe this week in the political realm of things outside of CPAC even, uh, what happened in CPAC, if there were anything, any, is, if there was anything that stood out, uh, and what our thoughts are on that, right? Oh, we have a, we have a stranger just walking out here. <laughs> so no, no, you're okay. No, you're good. Um, so how about, how about we start with this? Uh, one topic that I found very interesting this week was Milo. Yiannopoulos, mm-hmm. right? Are you guys familiar with what happened, just so everybody understands? So Milo is his own firebrand uh, of, of everything that's going on. He's a Breitbart editor, or was, and made some comments about pedophilia about a year and a half ago or something. He was invited to CPAC this year, and these comments came to light, and not only did he get disinvited by CPAC, he lost his book deal, and he resigned as editor of Breitbart. And this was a rising, I mean, not not just rising, shooting up. Shooting star in the conservative Yes, in movement. the conservative, well, not even the conservative movement, in, in the political arena, mm-hmm. I would say, as a whole, right? Basically, my question to you is, do you feel, do you feel that CPAC made the right decision in rescinding his invitation to the to the convention. Aaron, you, you can use this one. Oh, you want me to start? Well, go ahead, yeah. Why don't we start with you? No, actually, I'd like someone else to start. Okay. <laughs> no, the reason is, is because I don't know the background story of the pedophilia okay. thing from a year ago. Okay. But um, if you're looking at it from the point of view of excluding a voice, I think that's unfortunate. It is. Um, but if you're also looking at the point of view of who speaks for CPAC um, and, ha- and 
how those how policies coming out of CPAC and those discussions influence policy. That um, you know, it's 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 a decision that's made at the board level of CPAC at that point who determines what the personality of CPAC is. That's true. Yeah. So they have every right they to. Have, they have a right to say things too. Yeah, they have every right to determine who's there or not. It's unfortunate that we choose not to listen to some people, but sometimes, you know, it's his choice too. Yeah. His words are his choice. So. Yep. But I'll let everyone else speak. Yeah, why don't we just go right it. down the line and we'll just take one opinion from everyone. Make sure you speak into it. There. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to make a binary right or wrong uh, decision here. I, it, it's one of those things which, unfortunately, uh, just the way it was handled from the beginning, kind of the, the last-minute announcement, mm -hmm. and then the the dead silence for a while once the the, the, the story came out. Uh, it, it wasn't very well handled from the beginning, and thus, because of that, uh, either decision would have had you know some wrong aspects and some right aspects. Yeah, you're, well, yeah, you're actually right. So uh, a lot of conservatives would complain if he actually did attend it. Yeah. Because they would say, well, why are you having this guy on stage? So, yeah, it's, it looks like it's going to split people down the middle. But, you know, I mean, I kind of watched broadly. I mean, it, overall, the entire fiasco was a distraction. Yes. Brought up some good questions, but overall a distraction. Uh so I, I, I guess to, to just address the entire thing, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a total depravity kind of guy. I mean, we're all sinners. We all have done horrible things. We're all going to do horrible things. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we must forgive, but we must also you know, cleanse ourselves of those wrongdoings. Sure. Uh, and also treat every situation like this uh, with respect to the First Amendment, but also uh, also calling out wrongdoing. Uh, is it possible that both of those things could have happened and uh, a denouncement of what he said could have occurred uh, while retaining his, his speaking slot? Maybe, but uh, would his speaking slot in general have been an e even more of a distraction? We'll never know. Yeah, uh, yeah, so if we just have that kind of total depravity mindset, we just kind of agree that it wasn't a perfect situation and just move on. Okay. You want to pull the mic over to you then? So are you familiar with Milo? Pretty familiar. I don't think it was the right decision to rescind his offer. Okay. I think he was mainly coming to talk about free speech as we saw the Berkeley protests. And isn't that interesting? Shutting him down and... I think it would have been good to hear him talk about free speech because it's something we need to hear as we see these protesters trying to take it away from the Republican side mm -hmm. because they believe our speech is the wrong speech, which is not the way to look at politics. So just because of a mistake he made and could have, he could have really explained himself to the people that were against him coming, and it's a shame he couldn't come. Absolutely. But at least uh, we replaced him with... President Trump, so <laughs> can't complain about the time slot not being utilized properly. That's true. <laughs> so I am familiar with Milo. I think he is uh, pretty well spoken, and he also he he really does have his own brand. Yes. Um, but I do think it was the right decision because okay. I do not condone 
uh, like pedophilia in any way, shape, or form. That is just wrong on so many um, human rights levels. Um, but I do think he could have added a productive voice to this um, convention. So. Well, you know, and, and not to call you out on this that, you know, you're saying anything wrong here, but I, I don't think anyone condones mm-hmm. in, in the conservative movement pedophilia at all, you know, and even the liberal movement or libertarian movement. Um, what, I found, what I personally found interesting as a fan of Milo, you know, what makes the news or what makes headlines is when he says crazy things, right? And it's, I think we were talking about this at, at the bar the other night, which is it's what's in between those crazy statements that come out every now and then that's this meaty, intellectual, factual-based conversation that he's able to have that he can, on the spot, just demolish his opponents with the facts, you know? And he's very well-spoken. Uh, and with all that being said, what I find really interesting is the fact that Milo is not one to back down from what he has said and never apologizes. In this case, he did. And you could see that it really impacted him that this came out. And it's not that it just came out. He he put it out there. He said the words, right? But the fact that he said he takes back those comments, it wasn't meant to be taken that way, he realizes what a mistake it was, and he apologized for it and said if he could do it all over again, he certainly wouldn't go that route of talking that way. I find that very interesting for him to say because he doesn't back down off of what he says you know mm-hmm. um and yeah so i think what happened here and i think what you were alluding to is that we have a situation here where if it was if milo was a voice of the left they would be circling the wagons right now to protect his speech mm-hmm. no matter what he said right and i think that this kind of story came out to as a distraction, like you you said, the distraction, right? As a distraction for conservatives to kind of paint them into the corner as, you know, th- this is exactly who they are. They're not going to allow different voices in their convention, and it's going to be the straight white men uh, convention, and they're going to keep it to that, right? And I think that that's what they were really trying to spotlight with this issue, and I think we missed an opportunity with maybe moving him which probably wouldn't have worked because of how popular he is, but moving, instead of rescinding the invitation, moving him from a main speaker in the Potomac Ballroom to a breakout session as kind of a punishment for that, right? Maybe that would have been a better course or setting up a time frame outside of the main convention times, you know? Um, But I just found that kind of interesting. So let's go on to the, uh, the next topic. During our time here at CPAC, it was announced uh, that Trump has done away with the Obama regulations on transgender bathroom usage, right? You guys are all familiar with that, too. We've all been kind of wrapped up in, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> in the convention itself. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Did you expect that to come from Trump? I expected it to come from Trump. I did. And, um, you know, I, I agree with him on it. Okay. I do. Uh, it, I'm looking at. I was a soldier for a long time. I was in Iraq for quite a while, and um, there's a buddy of mine that's in the news quite a bit. And he told me uh, he was a Navy SEAL at one point. And he told me once that if you're so confused that you don't know what your gender is, I don't need you having a gun and fighting for me. Um, I I do think that 
I do but think there are there, I do think there are roles for people. Let me play devil's Go advocate ahead. for a second Let's do because it. they they would say that they are confused that they do believe that they are that other gender. There is no other gender. Well, right, and, and listen, <laughs> I'm trying to play devil's advocate with you, but if a man in the navy. Uh, claims that he is a female and assumes that gender, mm-hmm. he or she would say that they are not confused. That this, they are very they're clearly self, They're self-delusional and believe they're not confused. Okay, All right. <laughs> okay. go ahead. Bring it, bring it over to you there, sorry. The fact that we're even talking about not one but two presidents' involvement with this issue is frankly, a, a sign that we've gone way too far uh, in general. Uh, r- regardless of what side you are on the whole transgender debate, and I, I think you know, the, the general conservative view on that and the general liberal view on that, pretty clear. But the fact that the President of the United States, when the economy and, and foreign policy and, and other things are, are eons, and eons more important yeah, than this. Uh, and look, I, I think that the overall moral direction of this country is <coughs> at stake and an incredibly important issue that, that defines the direction of other policy. But something like this, A, constitutionally, is just completely out of whack. Uh, it should be a in states' rights thing, and, and, and okay. I mean, it, uh, this all started because of, of an Obama administration overreach, right? Uh, so it, the blame really falls on that administration. Uh, so, on constitutional grounds, what 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 Donald Trump did, uh, sure, uh, I mean, it, it, it's a return to normalcy constitutionally. Well, but the, uh, let me just cut you off for yeah. one second there, because I think, uh, just to be fair to them, for them to answer as well, you bring up a great point, which is that uh, a lot of people are probably watching the media reports on this and saying that Trump has completely reversed uh, Obama's plan on this, and it is now illegal for transgenders to use a bathroom that they identify with, when in fact, it seems like he has just left it, like you said, to the state's issues right for the states to decide in which case that really falls in line with a you know founding fathers type of mentality of like leave it up to the states and let that be a state's decision so it's not a complete recension of of uh what the what the rule was or a policy was that he put in place but now he's leaving it to the states to decide well, I, actually i think he's always even obama left it to the states to decide at the end of it it was a title nine issue of um, mm. education funding for equal opportunity, um, I think that's what Title Title Nine originally yeah, was in for. Yeah, athletics and stuff. Yeah, but it's been it's been redrawn to into right. other areas. So even under Obama, it was left to a states' rights issue whether or not they want to accept funding, which is why North Carolina had that issue. Yes. Yep. Most recently, so it's always been a state thing. It, now, all the only thing that uh, <laughs> the only Sorry. thing that Trump has changed is the um, the funding impetus there. Okay. I think relative to the issues facing our country, it's gaining more attention than it should. Just leave it to the states, and I think we need to move on and stop worrying about it as much as it's worried. Just leave it to the states, the Constitution states, and 
next person. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't have much of a comment on this one. Okay. Uh, yeah, I also think it's a pretty petty issue compared to everything that's going on right now. Um, personally, I've always used the men's room, and I will continue to do so. <laughs> um, one other thing that I want to point out is uh, I asked you if you were surprised by it, and you said that you weren't surprised by it. I actually was surprised by it because I think there's two things that, and, and some people may disagree on this first one, but there's two things that I don't think that Trump cares about too much, right? The first being the Constitution. I think he respects the Constitution in that it provides guidelines for what, and, and, and recognizes that he benefits from it. But I don't think he necessarily cares too much about it. You know, would you agree with that or disagree? I agree that he sees it as a, a template to guide him on his decision-making process. Yeah. Whether or not he, or you. Do you think he? Do I think that he respects the Constitution is what you're asking me? As much as like the rest of the people here at the convention, I have no reason to believe he doesn't. I, I oh, okay. Honestly, I'm, I, I really don't. I don't. I haven't seen anything that he's done. Well, I don't see him <clears> talk <throat> about the Constitution. You know, the well, that, that's which actually, is surprising. Yeah, and it might. Yeah, probably is surprising for President not to speak about the Constitution. But when I look at what who Trump Trump is becoming as his mm -hmm. pre, in his presidency, I look to his actions. I don't look to his words. Okay. Well, and the uh, the other thing, I'm, uh, the other reason why I'm surprised on this is not that this has anything to do specifically with the Constitution. What I'm actually surprised about is it seems like he doesn't care about social issues. You know, it's like when he was asked during the primaries, this is before the general election time, whether or not he would allow transgender people to use the bathroom that they identify with in the Trump Towers. He said they can use whatever bathroom they want. Mm -hmm. You know, he was open to that. He and and he's actually the first president to assume office and on day one be you know be you know basically for the LGBT community. He doesn't he doesn't really care about that stuff. He sees them as non-issues, mm -hmm. which is why I I felt like I was surprised by his actions on taking back what Ob what Obama put in in place as a policy. But at the same time, like I said, leaving it to the states is not that big of a deal. Why think. do you think he did? What's your theory? It's a to maybe placate. To, I mean, he's already he's already got the attention of the conservatives. He doesn't seem here. to care to placate to anybody. Though, I know. So. Yeah, that's why I'm so confused by this action. Which I don't know. You know, the people he put around him, I believe, have a lot of influence on his decision making process. He takes their counsel seriously. Yeah. Uh, so I'm wondering whose counsel brought that Good question that issue up I think I think we had a past president who was focusing too much on the social issues absolutely and Trump has kind of brought more of this no BS we have to stop worrying about these little things that are holding us back when we had our uh, President Obama saw the deficit grow at, he saw the most debt ever under his presidency yep. ISIS has I, I think terrorism is one of the biggest issues and national security, and he kind of let that go, and you saw what happened with immigration, our borders, open borders, and terrorism around the world. Look what's happening in Europe. And I think Trump's like, we need to focus on the big issues and put our time and effort into that instead of focusing on these little issues and the media talking about these little issues. And it's what our my generation cares about, these little issues, more than ISIS coming into our country. Yeah. It's, it's almost like first-world problems, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, on, on, on September 12th, we knew what our problems were. If you look at September 10th's newspaper, it's very much the same 
um, issues that we've had for, <clears throat> for the past six years. That's interesting. He needs to change. I, I He's changing our country's so. priorities, I believe. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need because the last eight years we saw that dwindling away. So we've been going pretty long with this, which I'm happy for. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy these conversations. So I guess where we're, I want to end it is I promised Matt here that we would talk about what he saw as <clears throat> some of the problems with the conservative party right now. And we can kind of have an open conversation on that. I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, so. Sure. And I'd say that, uh, it, I mean, a lot of it ties to what you were talking about, you know, about how does Trump approach the Constitution. Okay. Uh, it, and, and that's just one symptom of, of what I feel to be an overall problem. And when it comes to the base issue, I guess you could say it, it's, it's our education system. It's uh, you know, a, a, a completely fragile and nebulous hierarchy of you know, what, what the center of society is right now. Uh, so to kind of stratify everything, first of all, I think in this point in time, uh, while some might think that it doesn't really matter that much that Trump does not revere the Constitution or talk about it as much as he could, there's a fundamental and widespread on both parties lack of understanding of what the Constitution Absolutely. stands for. Absolutely. If you, if people think that the Constitution grants them rights. People think that uh, they have a right to this, a right to that. There's a fundamental misunderstanding of what a right is. And I was actually reading earlier about Thomas Sowell's oh. rights fallacy. He's fantastic. And, uh, it, when people misunderstand what a right is, that's incredibly dangerous because, and this is something that Mark Levin brings up, if you have a right to something, the government has the authority to compel someone to allow you to exercise that right. And can take it away. Exactly. So uh, I feel like at this point, and, and I'm thankful for Mike Pence because I think Mike Pence is the individual <coughs> who is in the position to do this right now, but we need an articulate leader to help if, uh, at first, explain to the American people what a right is yes. and, and explain that. But that's only a topical solution, and we're only going to have long-term results if we drastically reform our education system. Uh, that's going to be difficult, but it, it has to be done if we're going to survive as a, as a country. Who, who was it that uh, talked about uh, Betsy DeVos liking? Okay. Yeah, so uh, why don't you just pass it down to him real quick, and we'll kind of bounce back to you then. Uh, so he just brought up the topic of, you know, pulling in close, um, that education is really the foundation of where we need to tackle some of these big issues here especially in regards to what the right what a right is how the constitution plays into that um you know what he was alluding to and him and i have agreed on is that well it's it's not even that we agree it's it's factual is that all these people out there have a fundamental fundamental misunderstanding of what the constitution is and think that the constitution grants them rights whereas the reality of the situation is that it specifically lays out what the government can't do to you. You know, you, they can't take your guns away from you. They can't limit your speech. They can't seize your property for, you know, these certain reasons. They can't, um, it, what's the one with the, uh, is it third or fourth amendment where about uh, people, or uh, soldiers in, in your home quarter. Yeah. So, you know, this is all in regards to, um, the limiting the government's actions on you as a citizen and essentially makes it harder by those guidelines for the government to change those 
amendments and everything to get control over us in a tyrannical situation. So he's saying, you know, and I agree with him, that education is actually one of the top priorities, should be one of the top priorities because we are lacking in the world. We are falling behind. We've Last I, I checked, we were 26th in the world in regards to reading, uh, writing, mathematics, and science, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you talked about Betsy DeVos, so she's going to be shaking up things, I believe. Yeah, I think uh, what she's going to be doing is really great. I, um, <clears throat> I went to public school my entire life, and honestly, I really like public schools, but I do see that there's a lot of issues with them. You know, you go into inner cities, and there's just not a lot of funding. The teachers aren't... Um, the teachers and the professors aren't exactly motivated because they're trying to hit benchmarks. They're passing students um, just so that they can get maybe bonuses, that they can keep their jobs for the next year. Uh, I think it's a really big issue that, you know, maybe the teachers' union is protecting them too much. I read a book called Freakonomics. Um, Great, great one of the one of the early yeah awesome. one of the early chapters that talks about how you can prove when a teacher is uh, cheating or making a test easier for their students mm-hmm. in order to benefit themselves you know uh, I think they I'm not like sure on the specifics of that specific chapter because I haven't read it in a long time but uh, I think it proved a lot of very good points there are some teachers. I just got done um, pointing out and not to go off the topic too much but I was talking to one of my conservatives who's a minority, and I brought up that very book. I don't know if it was that one or Super Freakonomics, but it talked about how, or maybe it was one of their podcasts, I'm not sure, or in the movie. I mean, there were so many different things that those guys did. But it was in regards to uh, the black community and how they name their children and how that affects them going through school and applying for jobs and everything because they have such unique names that are tied to their culture you can immediately recognize it on a resume and it diminishes their opportunities and how maybe that should be something that should be changed or something that they should be aware of because statistically it has an effect on them getting jobs and everything and so fascinating and i'm glad that you brought that up because i haven't brought it up in a podcast freakonomics and super freakonomics are books that everybody should check out because there's fascinating things in those books especially in regards to things like uh, the medical revolution of germs, how they figured out germs when uh, the mortician people were going from dealing with dead bodies to delivering babies and the infant mortality rate was so high and they didn't know why it was happening, why these babies were dying in their hands, you know? Just fascinating, fascinating books. I'm glad you brought that up. Mm -hmm. So why don't we come back to you? So I guess my question for you then is, um, you know, he had a great focus on education he really liked Betsy DeVos he's saying that that's something that's foundationally we need to improve in order to improve everything else up the chain because it's education is at the base of everything right you have to know what's going on before you tackle issues do you see any other uh you know foundational things that we need to start tackling I think there's two big issues well first Scott Walker brought up a great point in his speech Scott Walker talked about how the teacher of the year was fired after budget cuts because she was only been a teacher for a couple of years while you see these teachers with tenure. I think tenure is one of the worst things. Unions protect these yep. teachers who, you know, they start reaching higher ages. They know they're going to have their job. And what's their motivation at that point besides they have a job? What's their motivation for these well, kids? Well, it comes to complacency after tenure. There's a complacency issue with these teachers. 
also I think another big issue that I've noticed coming from New York and what I'm starting to notice in college is professors are starting to push their agendas down our throat and you're starting to see an impact on students. You read articles about professors encouraging their kids to, their students to protest yeah. and you'll you're starting to grade. see this yeah. leftist bias from teachers and I think that's one of the biggest issues that no one talks about and that can really lead to a big change in our country mm-hmm. because it's the next generation so but going back to tenure I definitely think that's a big issue we need to start finding different incentive ways these older <laughs> teachers aren't as connected to these kids and they have this complacency and well, I wouldn't necessarily where I'm going to disagree with you on that is I don't think necessarily that it's an age issue I believe that tenure has encouraged a level of comfort that allows any teacher to get away with things that they maybe shouldn't be focusing on, yeah. right? Um, now, I, I think I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, too. I served on the school board, right? And we tried to tackle, in our district specifically, and it's a farmer, you know, farmer town, you know, and we were trying to figure out this big national issue of how do we compensate teachers differently? Because if you look into it, and I'm not going to explain it all, but there's a step system and a ladder system. And those are two things that are working together all the time for teachers to, for, to figure out their scale of income. Uh, not that they, listen, there's teachers that deserve more than they're making, and there's teachers that deserve less than they're making. And there's certainly tough jobs in inner cities where the tax dollars aren't there to support those jobs as much and they're getting not next to nothing, those are the people that deserve the most money to be teaching in those types of situations. It's a hard thing to figure out. We couldn't figure it out. You know, we had we came up with a different system and uh, it was it's it's a listen, if it was easy we would have figured it out by now. You know? But it's an interesting thing. So I'm gonna end it with you, James, and you can talk about, you know, what you think about what they were just talking about and if you have anything else to add. Well, one thing I actually want to ask you about is the teacher tenure thing in public okay. schools, at, at, since you're on a school board. Mm-hmm. Is, from my understanding, or what I thought teacher tenure was, it originally maybe was a, um, a show of excellence. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a, uh, you know, a progression in your career, necessarily. And it seems to me that it's almost an entitlement in some school districts, maybe, it is. where yeah. you know you're, you're there a certain number of years, and now you've got tenure because the thought is that you know you put in these, these so many out, <clears throat> excuse me, so many hours at such a low pay scale, when in some some um, school area or some counties in Maryland, actually, uh, um, teachers get paid very well there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I don't really know exactly, but um, you know how it affects or how tenure is determined in, in, across the country, but maybe it should be a, a you know, a, a sign of excellence rather than an attainment. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> almost hit me in the mouth there. Uh, you know, what we tried to go toward was a merit-based system, and it's really tough to do that because how do you, how do you judge a teacher's performance based on merits without encouraging a cheating situation? Mm-hmm. Where behind closed doors they're giving easier tests or feeding answers to students for their own personal benefit and income. Now, not all teachers are going to do that. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of teachers that won't do that. But it opens doors that you don't want to open, right? And that's what makes the issue that much tougher. Now, in regards to tenure, 
you know, it is mostly based on number of years served and everything, and there are certain requirements to meet. But once you do that, what happens is the teachers' unions become the biggest issue in it because not all where it gets really rough and and you have to be very careful with your words because teachers are amazing people Mm -hmm. you know some of them have agendas there's bad apples in every crowd right it's those bad apples that you sometimes have to focus on to um to try to determine and and hedge away from certain situations happening right and in this case there's some bad apples out there that are destructive towards students you know just the other week i covered a situation where a teacher um, saw Legos as as a uh, a tool that built cognitive uh, engineering abilities in in kids, right? But only boys were playing with the Legos, so she decided, as a social experiment within her own school, to not to specifically not allow boys to use Legos and encouraged girls to use them and actually made them use them, but wouldn't allow the boys to use them. So she was in a social experiment in her school was literally, you know, she believed that it was great for cognitive building of, uh, of the brain and would not allow the boys to do it, right? So there's people like this that should be fired that the unions end up protecting, and all that comes in with all these rules and stuff yeah. that go along with that. But then as well, the, the step and ladder system keeps these great teachers that deserve double what they're making to these confines of the step and ladder system that they can only make so much depending on where they are on those scales. But they deserve more. And merrily, they deserve more. You know, it's just—it's a screwed-up system, and there's really no good answer to it. Well, there's just one other uh, thing I wanted to bring up, and it, had, it kind of ties together the idea or the discussion we had on the Constitution and education. So I know uh, it's something I've been thinking about a while and was pleased to find out that it's been a, a there's a policy that's being pushed across the country to require... Um, require public school students to pass the citizenship exam to receive their diploma. Actually, in Arizona, it just got passed through the legislation. So I've heard it's going through a few other states, and that might might make a, uh, have a good impact. Because I remember looking at my father's report card from when he was a child in the 60s and 50s, and he, you know, it had a lot of the things that they were teaching them were, were civics, were duty, were um, history. And I think, you know, uh, other things that we just don't even touch upon any longer. And, I mean, with Jesse Waters, all all of his segments, you know, going to schools and people don't know anything, (laughs) it's such a shame. And I think I don't see any reason not to. I think that would be a good thing. Okay, go down the line. We'll we'll finish out on that then. Any any, uh, response to civics lessons or civics basically uh, exams to get your diploma? Uh. I don't know enough about, I mean, the, the pros and cons that I, I haven't looked into it enough to, to comment on it, but uh, I think economics is, is a big one, uh, other than history, uh, and to very brief, briefly in 30 seconds, because we, we went on the broader topic of education, but you did ask earlier, you know, about the state of the conservative party, yep. and uh, the heart pulse of the of the conservative movement as defined by Goldwater, Buckley is a, a solid foundation of knowledge of conservative principles such as economics. Uh, last year it seemed like there was an overall love for the free market and respect for it at CPAC. This year with the videos displayed, the, the speeches, a lot of protectionist, nationalist economic policies and everyone 
at least the grand majority of people just seem to clap along and not dissent to it. Yeah. And we can argue, you know, whether or not those kind of economic policies are a good thing. But my overall worry is that if our conservative house of principle of economics is built on a foundation of sand, what does that say about everything else? What does that say about the state of conservatism as a whole? I like the idea of a citizenship test. I don't think, I think if you went around to colleges, I don't think many college kids can even tell you 10 to 15 parts of the Constitution on the amendments. Right. Like if you ask someone randomly, what's the 22nd Amendment? Couldn't even tell you, or the amendment that grants kids 18 to vote, which is the 26th Amendment. I think the Constitution needs to be taught instead of just, it's the basis of our country. And the Constitution needs to be understood for us to understand how to be involved in this country and what our values are, what our founding fathers seeked for this country. How it separates us from other countries. How we're different, how we're like no other country, and why other countries want to come here. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hypocritical for people to be against immigrants and have this hatred towards immigrants when they can't even pass their own citizenship test and don't <laughs> even know their own constitution. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think it's important to look to that. Ever since uh, this year, I really, in one of my classes, I was kind of forced to learn the constitution. I had a test on it. And it's kind of changed me knowing the constitution and understanding state rights. And <clears throat> it gives me a different outlook on politics now. And when I see the media and I see these Waters world when he goes up to these students, they they know more about the Kardashians than they know yeah. about their own freedoms, and we need to stress that more. As an American, you should know the Constitution. At least the, yeah, some at least some. At least at least the at least some of it. Yeah, yes. we're not asking for that much. It's not a long document. No. Should. Yeah, I, I mostly agree with Ryan's points about the Constitution, about the immigration test, and or the citizenship test, not the immigration test, sorry. <laughs> uh, it's been a long week. Was, yeah, it's been a long it, week. It has been. Um, and a few long nights. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that every American should know at least to have a basic knowledge of the Constitution. Um, I do think civics, economics... Uh, and duty to your country, you know, when you turn 18, you do have to um, register for the uh, selective service. service, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think people should be taught about the background of that, you know. We have had drafts and things, and you have to be willing, like, when you get drafted, you have to be willing to go serve. And um, I think that should be taught more in schools instead of um, just learning about ceramics and things like that. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, uh, I want to thank you guys very much and the other two that uh, didn't make it back on camera uh, because we ran out of room. I thought we actually had enough room here. But um, it was a great talk. I really appreciate all the different viewpoints. I think that it was a fantastic opportunity to see that even within our own conservative movement, we have some differing opinions and that we range all over the place, but that we're able to come together for conventions like this and celebrate those differences, you know, and that's really what's important, expanding the tent as much as possible. Um, 
It's been fun. I, I hope you guys keep in contact with everything and follow the page. Speaking of following the page, uh, you know, some people are watching live on Facebook right now. If you're not, you can catch the edited version on YouTube, which will be the HD audio and video. Um, both on Facebook, you can search for the Generation Y Conservative. On YouTube, you can search for the Generation Y Conservative. On Twitter, I am at Gen Y Conservative without the E on the end. Uh, you can also find the audio version of this podcast on Stitcher and Google Play, soon to be on iTunes as well. And I have some very, very interesting and important information coming in the next couple weeks in regards to the audio-only podcast as well because I made some very good connections here at CPAC, and we'll just leave it at that. We might have a couple thousand more people tuning in on a regular basis, so we'll see how that goes, and, and I'll have more announcements as that comes around. But I want to thank everyone for joining us. Thank these guys again. Have a great day, and God bless America. <laughs>